0: From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa.
1: Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Charlotte Thompson. I'm Ben Penner. And I'm Amanda Rooney. We'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world.
2: This week, we're bringing you an exclusive piece with nonprofit ecologist Dr. Kevin Timoney about industrial oil spills in Alberta and how the Alberta Energy Regulator is misinterpreting data about those spills.
0: But before we get to that, stay tuned for some environmental headlines.
1: Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline is back in the news. Last week, the B.C. government introduced new legislation that would restrict transportation on oil until, quote, the behavior of spilled bitumen can better be understood, end quote. George Heyman, Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy, said that a scientific advisory panel would advise the government about how heavy oil can be safely transported and, if a spill occurs, how it can be cleaned up. The Canadian Energy Pipeline Association responded by saying that, quote, extensive research has already been conducted, end quote, in these areas. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley also butted heads against the BC government, saying that the move is only, quote, political game playing, end quote. Approved last year by the federal government, Trans Mountain adds a second pipeline along an existing line to bring more Albertan oil to the BC coast for export. The cities of Burnaby and Vancouver and six First Nations, all of whose land the added pipeline would cross, launched a lawsuit against the federal government last October.
2: In Edmonton last week, the Parkland Institute released a report about the carbon liabilities of oil sands producers in Alberta. Although large facilities must report their annual emissions, they do not have to publicly disclose their forecast emissions for all their assets. The Parkland Institute estimates that if not all their oil reserves were burned, they would emit the equivalent of $320 billion if carbon emissions are priced at $50 per ton, more than Alberta's GDP of $309 billion. The Institute is calling for the five biggest oil sands owners to publicly release details of their emissions modeling, quote, for the sake of transparency and accountability, end quote.
0: Lastly, Edmonton NDP Member of Parliament Linda Duncan called on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to restore funding for seven environmental research networks. Pointing especially to the Climate Change and Atmospheric Research Program, which supports atmospheric research facilities in the Arctic, Linda Duncan said it would be embarrassing if European scientists will have to quote, fill the gap, end quote, on climate science in Canada's Arctic. Canadian Science Minister Kirsty Duncan responded by saying the federal government contributed $70 million to climate research in 2017 and $1.6 million specifically to save a renowned Arctic lab. Linda Duncan warns that important scientists may leave Canada if the federal government does not fill its promises to support climate change research. You
3: know what I'm
2: in January, Dylan Hall went to an event hosted by the Alberta Wilderness Association. There, Dr. Kevin Timoni, a nonprofit ecologist, spoke about his recent report on industrial oil spills in Alberta and some disturbing behavior from the Alberta Energy Regulator. Dylan also had a chance to speak to Dr. Timoney afterwards. Here are the most interesting parts of Dr. Timoni's talk and of Dylan's interview with this ecologist afterwards.
4: So this study began some years ago um, when I was doing another study and I was looking at the Alberta Energy Regulator data and I noticed something very strange. If we looked at this as an actual portion of a data file, if this is the volume spilled and the volume recovered as as listed by the regulator, I was finding a tremendous um, agreement between whatever they spilled, they were saying they, they collected it, and I thought... Is that possible? So that sort of was the seed uh, that was planted a few years ago. So when I approached this study, I asked four basic questions. Are the spill and recovery volumes listed by the regulator, are they accurate numbers? Uh, After a spill and they've cleaned up, is there evidence of contamination or effects on vegetation or wildlife? Uh, Thirdly, are the data from the regulator credible and supported by science? And finally, is the regulator protecting the environment? Now, according to the regulator, and this is the regulator speaking of itself, AER provides for the safe, efficient, orderly, and environmentally responsible development of energy resources. We make sure energy development doesn't damage any aspect of our province's environment. So let's examine the evidence. There are four lines of evidence that I I examined. Uh, First of all, the large uh, database of spills uh, from 1975 to uh, beginning of 2017. Uh, That's called FIS data, or Field Inspection System. So that's the official regulator's data. Uh, Secondly, there were um, study plots which we um, established in the field in natural controls, but also in areas where there were spills, recent spills, and we gathered soil and uh, vegetation wildlife data there. Uh, we also looked at in-depth evidence from a single spill where we got FOIP documents, so we could dig into some detail there, and then I got other scientific data that I managed to incorporate into the analysis, and I also considered the scientific literature. So the database, the incident database that I analyzed, Uh, contains 70,088 spills that extend from 1975 to 6th of February 2017. Missing from that database are three uh, classes of spills, spills prior to 1975, and I estimate a minimum of about 3,500 to 4,000 spills, and I'll show you how I came up with that number. There's also an indeterminate number of spills that are missing from the database from 1975 onward, and I'll give you a few examples of those. And also this euphemism they call stains, where it's actually, they say there's stains on this lease site, but they don't call that a spill, and they don't put that in the spills database. But it's a spill. Okay, so when I looked at the, the, uh, the AER's database, I looked at spill volumes, as they reported, recovery volumes, recovery efficiency, that is how much of the spill was recovered. I looked at the environmental and wildlife effects that the uh, regulator listed. I looked at their uh, classification of sensitive areas and then whether their re- uh, information was, was reliable, uh, including such as things as location of spills. The sources of spills, so in terms of by volume, what are the biggest sources of spills? For crude oil, the three largest sources are crude oil group batteries, crude oil pipelines, and multi-phase pipelines. A group battery, a battery in the sense of the energy industry, is just a collection of of machinery, wells, buildings, pipes, etc. that are all grouped together in a group they call the battery. Um, Multi-phase pipelines. Multi-phase simply means that these are pipelines that carry gas and water and oil. And it's just many different mixes that go down these pipelines. Uh, The primary sources of saline water spills are water pipelines, crude oil group batteries, and oil wells, in terms of volume.
5: So, first off, who am I speaking with? Kevin Timoney. Kevin. And I'm the principal investigator with Treeline Ecological Research. Thank you so much for your talk today, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, so you yourself, how long have you been working at this and what was the process of research for you between field and paper, I suppose?
4: Well I, you know, I started to think about this issue about four or so years ago because I was doing another project and I noticed uh, when I was looking at some of the AER's data that the, the numbers looked too good to be true. And so I I sort of salted that away in my mind to think, that's something I really should look at uh, in the future because um, from what I've seen of the numbers, they they don't make any scientific sense. And so that's how it started. And then eventually I got a little bit of funding to to help me do the field work. Um, And uh, and so it's been a process over the last few years of, of trying to put together the pieces um, by you know drips and drabs of information trying to get it from the regulator the the, the fist database the field inspection system database has been very useful because it has data on s- over 70,000 spills mm-hmm. but once you start to analyze the numbers you realize that there are major scientific issues with the numbers that are being reported
5: you talk about some extraordinarily blatant lying in your talk and I was interested in, to you, what are some of the most disturbing findings of this research?
4: Well, I I, I don't think I use the term lying, so okay. I'm I'm not. What I what I managed to show was that the data were not scientifically credible, and that the numbers, for example, in in uh, oil recovery and saline water recovery, were not measured volumes. They were uh, human estimates, human right. biased estimates, essentially. Um, so the question of lying is a really complex thing because you have to determine the intent of the person, which of course I have no idea what the right. intent is. So what I focused on was to say, are the data that are coming out of the regulator uh, scientifically credible, and and are they um, supported by the regulator's own data. So for example if if we were to look at um, the failure to report uh, dead animals or injured animals at a spill we can go in and find information that we know the regulator has that show that there were animal mortalities at a spill when they're not recorded in their FIS spills database. So how that happens I have no idea.
5: Right. So I was thinking lying in the sense of there is a toxic spill here, mm-hmm. 31% oil, right. or whichever the spill is, right. and the AER is saying there is no spill here. Right. In that sense, mm-hmm. who is saying that there is no spill? Is it that yeah. you don't know who it is, that you that's can't a, say that somebody's a, lying? Yeah,
4: I, I wish I knew the answer to that question. So, for example, at the amber uh, crude oil battery spill, the soil there is extremely contaminated Mm -hmm. and yet when we when we FOIP that site we only get uh, information about uh, minor spills that took place years ago where they've said they've been cleaned up so either they haven't been to that site in years and they don't know about the spill or they know about the spill and they didn't record it in their database so Mm -hmm. whatever Whatever is the source of that information, the fact is we have a highly contaminated site. That when we query the regulator, the regulator tells us there's no spill there. So how does that happen?
5: I don't know. Or they say that the spill is in a location that it's Somewhere not else. actually.
4: Yes, yes, and that's another very common problem because they use the the township and range system instead of. Um, coordinates that, you know, would take you right to the site. The other thing they do that throws you uh, off in terms of finding a spill is they'll often cite the nearest facility as the location of the spill. So they may, the spill may be here, but 500 meters away is is the closest well, so, or battery. And so they'll say that lo- the spill was located at this site when it's actually that's the battery site or the well, the actual spill is 500 meters away or 200 meters away. So that kind of imprecision makes it almost impossible for the public to find these spills to go out there and and determine what's actually going on. So in that case, you need to have the local knowledge of, uh, you know, typically First Nations people who know exactly where the spill is because they've seen it on a daily basis. Okay, what about perfect recovery? If you look at the Alberta data, you'll find that overall, for crude oil spills, more than half the spills, in fact 54% of the time, for these 30,000 spills, they're saying we got it all. We cleaned it up perfectly. Uh, For saline water, the overall median recovery is 84%. So they're saying at least half the time, they're getting 84% of the saline water and 39% of the time, they're saying, we cleaned up all the saline water. So, quite often, they're saying they have perfect spill recovery. Is that uh, possible? Well, if we look at other uh, jurisdictions, for example, in North Dakota, uh, industry reports only 3.4% of the time do they get perfect recovery. In Alberta, it's 54%. So we have uh, 16 more times likely to say that we've perfectly collected our our spilled crude oil. Okay, so switching gears now, we're talking about AER uh, uh, data on spill effects on wildlife habitat, uh, wildlife and habitat. Now, correcting for all their missing data, the AER data tell us that in only 1.2% of crude oil spills uh, is the habitat affected, and in only 0.1% of the crude oil spills is there an animal injured or killed. Uh, The numbers for saline water are even lower, 0.9% and 0.02% of the time uh, they're finding animals killed. So I, I compared those numbers to the scientific data, and these rates are simply not credible. For example, in Oklahoma, industry reported average damage rates are 30 to 50 times higher. Than they are in Alberta. And industry reported rates are are lower than scientific uh, rates. So it's it's a it's a very large difference between the scientific reality and what we see in the Alberta regulators data. So I asked the question: how can there be so few animal deaths in these in the AER spill data? First of all, it's possible that no animals were killed or injured in a spill. Uh, secondly, maybe a study wasn't conducted, so They didn't find any dead animals because they didn't go and look. The study may have been conducted, but it might have been flawed, and that's very commonly the case. Or they may have found animal deaths, but failed to uh, uh, record them in their database.
3: There's overwhelming
4: evidence, direct evidence, that habitat has been damaged, animals have been killed. If you look in the AER's data, almost invariably, they'll say no, no effect on wildlife, no animals killed. And I'll show you some examples of that. Here's a good example. Uh, Plains Midstream Rainbow Spill 2011. The internal report found 109 animals dead were found by industry during the cleanup, and these are the, some of the types of animals they found. And yet, if you look at the database, it's zero. So they're not only, yes? Sorry, just that's the AER internal report that's... This is an internal report filed with the regulator from the company. So is that malicious or is that... Sorry? Is that malicious in terms of presenting numbers like that and then saying nothing died or...? Well, see, I, I, I can't um, attach any sort of intent to this because I don't know how it happens. I just know that we have the data that say we found uh, 109 animals and then I look in the database, and it's not there. So I don't know how that comes
3: about.
5: I know you talked about it at the end there, but if you could comment again about the disproportionate effects of mm-hmm. spills in Alberta and mm-hmm. who they're affecting, mm-hmm. is it primarily First Nations people? Yeah,
4: for sure. The you know the First Nations people are um, many of them are living in in these oil fields in these in these uh, in the oil patch that are they're completely uh, surrounded by high intensity uh, extraction production activities, and so they're exposed on a daily basis to the activities of the energy industry. They're also out there on the land trying to hunt and fish and trap, or to pick berries, or to visit their religious sites, um, and to just carry on their their normal existence. So they are disproportionately affected uh, in terms of the energy industry spills
5: and I put some words in your mouth earlier speaking about lying and then asking you um, what was the most disturbing findings of your research so without the lying part mm-hmm. what to you is the most disturbing findings of your research
4: that's a very good question because so much of what I found was disturbing mm-hmm. but I, I think if you know if I had to just sit back and, and say what was the single most disturbing thing I would have to say that that there are literally tens of thousands of spills that are out on the landscape that we know nothing about. That the regulator has uh, uh, very uh, unreliable data about these spills. So in essence, what we conclude is that there are literally tens of thousands of spills that have been inadequately cleaned up and have effects on the biota And nobody's doing anything about it, and uh, as far as a member of the public, it's very difficult for us to find out any information about these spills that are literally in our backyards, because the FOIP system doesn't work well, the AER is a master of misinformation. And so even you know, a large municipality like the city of Calgary struggles to get accurate information about spills because they need that for their city planning process. So the fact that there's so many spills, that they're widely distributed, and we get so little scientifically credible accurate information about that, it makes me realize that nobody really has a handle on how serious this issue is.
5: So those maps that you had up there that were showing spills across Alberta, those were quite the gut punch for me. Those were huge mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. the spread. Yeah, Was that AER reported spills? Yes. So that was only the reported only spills? Only the
4: reported spills.
5: So there's a huge number more yes. likely. Yeah, that than...
4: we know nothing about, that they have they have not recorded. And especially, they have zero spills before 1975. Um, and, and we know from, from the, the history books, when we read about the, the initial um, exploitation of oil and gas in the province, that the, there was really no environmental uh, regulations, no oversight for decades, and the technology was not there, so there were tremendous numbers of serious spills all over the place when the industry was getting started, and we know exactly zero about well. them. uh, in a a recent history of the AER or the ERCB I guess I should say because it was looking back before the AER existed they were talking about how the enforcement officers would find uh, um, environmental problems they would simply stop their car and look out at the horizon and see where there were black balls of smoke and they would just drive to them that's how they found out where there were issues, because they, the oil men were out there and they were just having these massive fires to get rid of waste oil or to clean up a site. And uh, so that's how there was no reporting. They were just, it was just sort of, okay, there's a big pall of smoke over there. Let's go see what the problem is. So think about that. Spread that out, out across the province and realize that there was virtually no oversight. It's, so
5: it's massive
4: unknowns.
5: Are there any particular laws that the Alberta Energy Regulator is breaking?
4: Well, okay, so there's the Migratory Birds Convention Act where whenever a deleterious substance has been uh, put on the, the land, um, if, if it comes into contact and causes harm to a bird, that is a federal offense under the Migratory Bird Convention Act. There's also uh, the Environmental Protection and Enhancement Act which, you know, prohibits um, pollution of surface waters, and uh, you know there there are there are many pieces of legislation that are not being enforced, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, um, we don't have the power to make the government enforce the laws. Um, yeah, so it's 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 frustrating because we do have some good laws, but they're not being applied. <laughs> summing up here the questions and answers. Are spill and recovery volumes reported by the AER accurate and reliable? No. After cleanup, is there evidence of contamination and effects on the biota? Yes. Are the AER data credible and supported by science? No. Is the AER protecting the environment? No. Can It, it cannot be reformed, and it must be replaced.
5: And last question, okay. why do you do this? Why do you do the work that you do?
4: Well, I, I guess it's because I care. So somebody has to do it. And, and um, you know, if, if there are data out there that help us to understand what's happening to the world, Uh, It's the scientist's responsibility to analyze those data and report to the public, because uh, information is the fuel for democracy.
5: Thank you for doing what you do. You're welcome. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Any last words?
4: Uh, No, I I guess one thought would be that um, a lot of us are getting old, and we need the younger generation to get involved. because. there's a tremendous amount that needs to be done, and young people have a lot of energy and passion, and we we need them to get involved.
5: Thank you so much, Kevin. Hope that's useful for you. I think that's wonderful.
4: So we see here we have thousands of unrecorded spills, thousands of spills uh, that have occurred that we know of that they continue. They're widely distributed across the province. Wherever we look, we can find effects on the biota and on the soils. So we have pervasive impacts, but missing information and misinformation. We have the failure of the AER to protect the environment, and that means for all of us a persistent danger to our society and to our ecosystems. That's it, thank you.
0: If you want to hear even more stories like that, check out our website at terrainforma.ca. And while you're there, look for the survey tab in the menu. We would love to get to know our listeners and what you enjoy about the show. Before we go, here's this week's edition of What's Happening.
1: Next week, on Wednesday, February 7th, the Alberta Climate Dialogue is hosting an event at the Edmonton Tower with the City of Edmonton and the Athabasca University Press. The event is called Challenging Public Involvement, Learning from the Citizens Panel on Edmonton's Energy and Climate Challenges, and it will start at 6.45 p.m. No tickets are required.
2: Your input can influence the content we gather over the next year. Speaking of which, do you have a New Year's resolution? It's not too late to go for it. If of course that resolution is to tell stories about multifaceted environmental topics on the radio.
0: If you didn't answer yes, or you don't believe in New Year's resolutions and just want to try something new and exciting, you might still want to consider joining our team. For more info on that, check out the About Us tab at terrainforma.ca.
1: And that's all the time that we have for this week's show. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 Territory. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at Terra Informa.
0: Don't forget to visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes.
2: Thanks this week to our contributors, Dylan Hall, Jason Wong, Charlie Blaze, Sydney Karbonik, and Carter Gordzica.
1: We've been your hosts, Amanda Rooney,
2: Ben Penner,
0: and Charlotte Thompson. Catch you next week.